how do we help young people to have these conversations about race, be it 1927, 1955, or 1968? Um, because whether we're having those conversations back then or now, they're important. It's, it's, in some respects, these conversations are happening today in, in many respects. And they'll be happening in the year 2021, and they'll be happening in 2041, and they'll be happening in 2055. And one way to help young readers pull up a chair is through words and pictures and narratives and stories. You're listening to What is Black, the parenting podcast where we address issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duje. So thank you for joining us for another episode. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with author Andrea Davis Pinckney. She's a New York Times bestselling author and has won numerous awards for her previous books. Today, we we talk about her upcoming book, Loretta Little Looks Back, Three Voices Go Tell It. And during our discussion, we'll, we'll dive into her role as an author and historian Also, how her book is so relevant to current events today and even more important, um, why it is so important for us to get out and vote. And I think this book is a great, um, great bridge for parents to talk about why it's important, important to vote. And especially given the history of black women in this country, this this year marks 100 years um, that women earned the right to vote. As we know, historically, black women received the right to vote much later um, than white women. But even having that right to vote did not ensure our ability to vote. So Loretta Little Looks Back really explores um, the history through the stories of three of the characters, um, how they got how they fought for their right to vote and representation. So I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. So let's get started. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jackie. It's nice to be here. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to talk today about um, your new book, Loretta Little Looks Back, Three Voices Go Tell It. So I was wondering if you could share, um, share with our audience a brief overview of your new book. Yes. Loretta Little Looks Back is the story of three main characters, Loretta, Rolly, and Aggie B, and they are members of the Little family. So each of these characters presents a vivid story of their young lives. It spans three generations. So we start with Loretta, and we meet her in a sharecropping field in 1927, and then the stories span up through Rowley, up through Aggie B, and they end at the presidential election of 1968. So it's three separate stories that come together to create a single journey. And really in writing the novel, the goal is to give readers a front row seat to the dramatic events that led to African Americans claiming the right to vote, which is very timely now as we approach an election year. Your role as a writer and historian, right? Even though, even though you may not call yourself a historian, right? You as an author, weaving in history throughout the book. How do you? I guess how 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 does what is that process, right? To be able to make a story like this really come to life and be relevant to kids, especially. Um, the topics of, you know, you know, very tough topics, racism, Jim Crow, 
So it's interesting, Jackie, you asked about being a historian. Um, and while Loretta Little Looks Back is about yesterday, it is about history, uh, it's also about today, and it's also about tomorrow. You know, here we are in a society that is riddled with discrimination and bigotry. How do we help young people to have these conversations about race, be it 1927, 1955, or 1968? Um, because whether we're having those conversations back then um, or now, they're important. It's, it's, in some respects, these conversations are happening today in, in many respects. And they'll be happening in the year 2021, and they'll be happening in 2041, and they'll be happening in 2055. And one way to help young readers pull up a chair is through words and pictures and narratives and stories. Like I think I would love to see, you know, how you know educators could potentially make this into a play, or even be able to to have uh, opportunities where young people actually read read parts out loud, which I found like really fascinating. Well, that's part of my intention. So it's a monologue novel, and think about it. When we are reading aloud, we can kind of connect content to meaning. So my goal or my hope would be that young readers will share the book with friends, that teachers will use it in a classroom for a reader's theater as a great read aloud. And when kids themselves hear themselves speaking the words, becoming Aggie B, becoming Rolly, you know, they will really feel it very viscerally. Um, you know, as an author, I kind of feel like I have a job, which is that, you know, I really make a promise. I, I make a deal with my readers, and basically it's this. I say, come on, little one. You know, we're going to go on a journey. We're going to come on this together. I am inviting you to join me for a very special experience. And if I'm doing my job, you, child, won't even realize that you're reading because we are on this road together. So it's me and you and we, and we are moving forward. And that's my hope for the book is that they will, like, like you described, you know, they'll enter the experience, get on that journey, and take that ride. And, and you know, they may even learn something in the process. Um, but uh, really the, the goal is to have them enjoy these characters, experience what it was like, and reflect on some of their own experiences and some of the events that are happening today. Which I, which again, to me, is sort of a treat, right? As an adult, I sort of, I had that child, you know, I, I sort of read, I guess, through the, those child eyes, right? The young people, young person's eyes. Because again, a lot of the history, I felt like I was deprived, you know, deprived of reading. Because I know growing up, my dad was very much, you know, um, you know, pro-black, right, very much interracial socialization without really understanding the concept at the time, right? So the stories I read were more sort of they were already we, we've achieved and how we're going to continue to achieve and not necessarily all the work that went behind our being able to, to vote, right, to be able to protest. And so I right. love that. I, I love the fact to be able to learn that and knowing that young people – so, you know, so we'll just go back a little bit. You, you mentioned how the events in the book, right, the 1968 um, presidential election year very much parallels our election year now. So, again, I just weaving all this to say that what I loved also about the book were how you showed 
agency, like young people have agency. Because I know I've been I've been asked a few times, you know, how do I how can I how can I engage young people in social justice movements? And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. How how you what you know your intention of putting these young people um, and having them have agency and a voice to make a difference. Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I never could have imagined when I embarked upon the, the writing of the novel several years ago, I never would have imagined that we'd be plunged into the swill of so many thoughtful conversations about anti-racism um, and the importance of voting and Black Lives Matter and how these strands kind of come together. Um, I, I, of course, back then when I started writing, I didn't plan um, a little bit of, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert, but, you know, when Rowley delivers a narrative entitled This Troubled Brother's Soliloquy, where he shares the heartbreak of the events surrounding the lynching of Emmett Till in 1955, and when 12-year-old Aggie comes face-to-face -face with police brutality a decade later in the book in 1964, you know, she might as well have been presenting her story today in 2020. And then in 1968, you know, Loretta sings, you know, she's on a bus and she's singing, go down Moses, let my people vote. You know, it could be five months from now when people of color will be flocking to polls to cast their ballots. And in this case, with Loretta Little Looks Back, they're all children in the story. Um, one of my favorite scenes to write was when young Aggie uh, is in a meeting in her town in Mississippi and members of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee come. And they ask for volunteers or folks to go down to Indianola to, in Mississippi to register to vote. None of the adults who are sharecroppers raise their hands because they're frightened of losing their, uh, their, their, their work uh, with, with bosses who are uh, white bosses. They're afraid of what the consequences would be. And there is, uh, there is Aggie, you know, feeling like her hand is just going to fly off the top of her wrist. And finally, she can't stand it. She's 12 years old, and her hand is up, and she's raising her hand, and she's saying, I know I'm only 12. I know I'm not old enough to vote, but I'm going to get my hand up and raise it. And she does, and she accompanies her aunt down to Indianola, where she is uh, going into that uh, place where she's got a – she can't even register. She's got to take a, a, a test. Her aunt's got to take an aptitude test. Um, which is an unfair reading test, and there is Aggie B helping out. So even young people today can, as you say, Jackie, have agency, can make a change. And you look out the doors and, and windows and onto the streets and sidewalks of 2020, and you look at people holding Black Lives Matter signs, many of those people are children. Yes, and, and I think that's, you know, that's also learning our history, right? And I think that's why your book and you as an author are so important. You know, you talk about, you mentioned writers being, writers are historians, right? So, um, which, I think, which I think is fabulous, right? Especially when you're writing about past events that definitely play a role in present day, right? We may not, we may not always see the connection. This, this is an obvious, there's an obvious through line um, through this book to now which I think is wonderful for um, for kids and families to really read 
read about and even and discuss as a family. So I want to want to switch gears a little bit and talk about. There were certain words or phrases that stood out for me um, in the book, and I just wanted to kind of like do a little bit of um, wordplay to find out, you know, what those words meant to you as you were writing. So the first word that that stuck, stuck, stood out for me was reaching, because that's also yeah. throughout the book, this idea of reaching. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yes. So each of the sections, if there are three sections of the book in which each of the characters are introduced. And uh, yes, each of them talks about the importance of reaching. And isn't that what we're all doing now? We're reaching for something better, different, something vital, something important. And that is what a young person can do. They can aspire. They can look ahead into tomorrow. They can have a goal. They can have determination. They can want something. Young people understand what it means to reach for a goal. Um, In the scene in which Aggie B accompanies her aunt down to take the aptitude reading test to hopefully register to vote, and she gets her hand up. One, there's, there's, the book is illustrated throughout by my husband, Brian Pinkney, and that illustration is one of my favorite because it's this big, exaggerated hand of this girl, and that hand is practically coming off the page, and we see young Aggie B reaching just by raising her hand. And isn't that what kids are doing all day in school and when they want to volunteer? They get that hand up, and that's what reaching is about. All right, and then another phrase that I, that I love, and I think I just needed it at that time, reading the book, the phrase, dumb, dowdy. Yes, dumb, dowdy. Dumb, dowdy is just that. It's misgiving. It is uncertainty. It is the voice in your head that says, don't do it because you might not succeed. And throughout the narrative, the characters talk about dumb dowdy. Here he is raising his, his or her, you know, ugly voice, uh, you know, the voice of doubt. And uh, dumb dowdy is sneaky, devious, and sometimes can whisper, sometimes can be loud. I call dumb dowdy the committee. You know, again, it's that voice in your head that says, I can't, I don't, I won't, I shouldn't. And throughout the novel, uh, the characters are kind of always contending with dumb dowdy because when we want to do something powerful, different, something that will make a change, something that may not be easy. Uh, you know, sometimes the voices come into the mind and, and try to dissuade us, and that's what Dumb Dowdy is. And we have to say, thanks for sharing, Dumb Dowdy. I'm going to move forward. I love that. I love that phrase. And I hope I'm not giving too much weight, so you can let me know. So there's another, it's another phrase, sapphire socks. I won't give too much away, but I will say that one of the threads that weaves each of the generations together is an unexpected mystical gift. It is something that ignites their determination, their bravery, and it is a gift that is passed down from one generation to the next that informs their ultimate success with claiming the right to vote and finding 
uh, equality and uh, peace in, in the world in which we're all living. I'm excited to welcome our new sponsor, Puzzle Huddle. Puzzle Huddle creates puzzles that feature diverse Black characters. They believe that when children play with toys that feature images that look like them, they have the opportunity to be affirmed and engaged in imaginative play in a very personal way. And I believe this brand really supports the mission of What is Black to help raise healthy and thriving Black children through play and seeing themselves reflected back in the toys that they play with. These puzzles are also a great excuse to play together as a family. One of my favorite puzzles is Ballerina Love that I'm looking at right now. I was excited to unpackage it and actually put the puzzle together. It features a beautiful brown girl dancing. I'm ready to frame it and put it on my wall. It's that good. But there are so many other wonderful choices featuring characters that are doctors, which I love because I'm a pediatrician, scientists, and so much more. Buy your puzzle today. Check them out at puzzlehuddle.com. Because as I was reading your book a little bit, I was thinking about, um, I've been listening to a lot of interviews by Toni Morrison. And, like, she puts, like, like her, her work, I have to read a few times, you know, phrases or, you know, different, different scenes a few times, right, to kind of get the, get, the, get the richness of it. And it's like, oh, man, she's really deep. And for me, that phrase, like, really encapsulated how deep this book was to try to understand, like, okay, what's the significance and the role it's playing, you know, as you, as you stated. So I'm also cheating a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of behind the scenes. <laughs> so I'm like, I did miss something. Um, in the book, but I thought that was wonderful. And then the last word was firelight. Yes. So the novel opens with the idea that we each have a firelight. We each have that ember that burns inside that really is one internal kind of higher power. The thing that leads us, that guides us, the our, our, you know, it's a, our conscience, our, our higher self, our purpose, our, our, our primary uh, kind of the, the voice, the, the, the voice that's opposite Dumb Dowdy, the one that says, yes, you can, yes, you will, come on, we can do this. Uh, and that's, that's what the firelight is. It's, it's what ignites each of us. And in the case of the little family, um, it's what ignites that family and it's this kind of beacon that keeps them going through some very tough times. Could you share a little secret about your, your love of writing history and your love of writing, writing books for, for young people? Yeah. Well, when I was in the, uh, when I was in middle school, um, I, I loved history and uh, I grew up in a family where mom and dad were, were, uh, you know, very avid readers, but during that time, I was also living history. Um, I, I always joke that when I was a kid, my parents took me every summer, me and my sister and brother, um, our quote-unquote family vacations were the same every year. So every summer, we went to the NAACP National Convention, we went to the National Urban League Conference, and then as school was starting to uh, begin, uh, we went to the Congressional Black Caucus. So when other kids were at summer camp or out at the beach, this is what we were doing every, every summer. We were loading up our station wagon and, and living the history. And I remember um, thinking then, back when I was 12, you know, oh, my gosh, how dismal it was that I had to go to these 
the conference, you know, the annual convention of the NAACP and listen to speakers and then talk to my parents about what we had heard and what we had learned. And looking back now, I was a young historian. I was experiencing history as it was happening. And um, that's what I that's what I bring and, and pour into my books. And I, I thank mom and dad now, of course. Yeah, because I could probably imagine what that was like, <laughs> you know, at the time, you know, that you have to appreciate it um, much later. So for yeah. young people that listen listen to this, it's like you know when your parents, you know, they're gonna they're they're gonna be eventually treasured memories, um, the experiences that you have, and who knows, you might be able to use those memories and those those experiences to write yourself, which is great. Right, exactly. And as a parent now, and as a as an author, I'm you know I'm visiting with thousands of school children a year. You know, I'm I'm kind of a little bit on my soapbox. You know, you know, kind of preaching to them about what's important and and what they need to be focusing on and, and where we go from here. And, uh, yeah, so it all comes back around. It is interesting, you know, as you, as you were talking, Andrea, I was, I was thinking, right, you shared the fact that your lived history sort of informed your writing. I was wondering, and, and, you, and you give author talks, I'm just trying to, trying to kind of piece this together, what your thoughts are now, right, all the young people that are experiencing the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the discussion about anti-racism. What do you think will be will be the books of tomorrow, given young people's experiences, lived experiences now? Well, let me just say that while we're all kind of quarantining, um, you know, so many people are calling this period a, a lockdown. You know, we have to like a lockdown, and I kind of look at, look at it as an opening up. And what I mean is that this is an opportunity for we moms and dads to share books with our kids and to spark those dialogues and to probe and to ask questions and to listen and to look at books that are illustrated and to unpack some of these very complex conversations. So, and to do read aloud in the family so that when we when we really are uh, past COVID-19 and, and you know, we, we remember this time as, as a time that we were all together experiencing not only, you know, COVID, but Black Lives Matter, which has uh, been, of course, illuminated in ways, again, that none of us could have expected. We'll come out of this. You know, I feel like I'm a, in a little bit of a chrysalis, you know, like um, we're all kind of we're trans- transforming. You know, this is a, a very transformative time. It's a very reflective time. And so any and all books that we can bring into the home and share with our children are important. Um, you know, kids see what they see and they don't see what they don't see. So they, they see the books that we present to them. And if we don't present them to our children, if we don't have these conversations, if we don't allow them to ask questions, they won't get the answers that they need. And that's also, you know, my hope for Loretta Little Looks Back is that this is a time that we can, again, open up, read these relevant stories and, and think about and plan, you know, where, where we go from here. And as you said, Jackie, so beautifully, you know, reminding young people that they have agency and that they have the voice and that they can make a difference. So, Andrea, can you share, share with our listeners where they can learn more about you and your books? Absolutely. So the best way to reach me is on social media. I am on Facebook, I am on Twitter, and I am on Instagram. 
My Twitter handle is Andre Davis Pink. You can reach me, Andre Davis Pinkney, on Facebook or Andrea Pinkney One on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to What is Black. I want to thank our special guest, Andrea Davis Pinkney, for sharing her book, the inspirational book, Loretta Little Looks Back, Three Voices Go Tell It, and for sharing the history of voting for black people and how hard we've had to fight for that for that right and continue to fight for that right. So if you are registered to vote, I'm encouraging you to vote this year. November 3rd is one of the most important days um, in 2020. So if you can vote early, vote early in your states. Um, and if you're if you're going to vote on November 3rd, let's go out and mass to vote because um, this is this is an important time for us. Um, 2020, we can make a difference. So thank you so much for listening. To learn more about What is Black, you can go to our website at www.whatisblack.co and you can follow us on social media at whatisblack at W-H-A-T-I-S-B-L-K on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And until next time, be well, be safe, and vote.